everybody, and welcome to the Cane and Rinse podcast, volume 11, issue 517. And we're off to the outer worlds. Joining me, Leon Cox, in this issue, Carl Moon. Hey, everyone. Leah Haydu. I'm actually surprised I made it on this one. I would have thought that my, my dislike of Outer Wilds would have just immediately gotten me thrown off, but here I am, looking forward to it. <laughs> or possibly your dislike for um, Metro Exodus as well. You know. uh, th- maybe. This isn't the Outer Wilds. <laughs> Wait. <laughs> we, have a, we have a definite article in this one. Uh, and Tony Atkins, who nominated this game for the show? I did. And I, I yeah. did know which game I was nominating. This is the Outer yeah, Wilds. Yeah. Yes. Not the Outer Wilds. Yes. <laughs> What is the Outer Worlds for those who don't know? Well, it's not to be confused with Outer Wilds. Take a drink every time that. one of us does that. Yeah, yeah. Issue 500 was our Outer Wilds show. Uh, a very different game, very different experience, just with a very similar name, uh, as it turned out. The Outer Worlds, which we are talking about today, is a science fiction first-person action RPG from the creators of the original 1997 computer role-playing game Fallout. And there's there's a bit more to it than that. You know, it's got FPS elements and immersive sim elements. But fundamentally, if you have played Fallout 3 or Fallout 4 or Fallout New Vegas more pertinently, it's very much in that area. But there are some elements about it which are very clearly drawn in from other influences and other things, which we'll talk all about Tony, why did you uh, nominate this for the show? What's your history with The Outer Worlds? Um, so this is a weird one for me. Um, the reason I nominated it is because I wanted to finish it. And I, that's yes. a poor excuse, but that is my excuse. That's but why that's... I started this podcast. Yeah. So you um... know, that, I think that's a perfectly good excuse. <laughs> but, but how I got around to actually playing the game. Um, I was going for a really bad patch in my life when this game came out. And mm. um, I... I was barely playing any games whatsoever. I was in a real kind of dark place and this came up and I thought maybe I'll just sink myself into a, uh, you know, a a deep RPG that will solve it. And of course it was, I, I played the first few hours and it was incredibly funny to me at that time. Anyway, it was incredibly funny. It was, you know, really lighthearted. It's exactly the game I was looking for. Um, and it kind of just made a, a lot of my kind of anxiety and issues that I was having at the time sink into the background. But because it was that kind of time in my life, I never actually got around to finishing it because other things, unfortunately, you know, bubbled up around it and took priority. Um, but it was always one that kind of stuck in my mind that I, oh man, like I, it's a big RPG. I'd like to get back to it. But, you know, it's I was only a few hours in. So... In, you know, I was I put it on on the on the list and uh, pick it for for this year as a big yep. RPG because you know that's that's what you know we tend to do and so yeah it was it was nice to actually get round and sit down and actually put in the kind of twenty thirty or with the DLC phone forty hours into it and finally get round to seeing whether it was a game that I needed to play or whether it was just a you know a kind of love at first sight or a little bit more complex than that so yeah really good earnest. Ways to go. I, you know, I don't even know if I brought it. Was it on Game Pass? It yeah. is on Game Pass because yeah, it Pass, uh, <laughs> it got hoovered up in. I, th- I don't know if it was it already there, I'm and then sh- they bought Bethesda. I think so. It was. Yeah, it went yeah. onto Game Pass the day it came out. Yeah, so that right. that's probably why I sunk. You know, got into it because it's like, well, it's free. Right? Well, not free, but you know, it was there, yeah. and I could just you know jump into it and, and enjoy the kind of hype around yeah. it. So, um, yeah. So recently put the last you know last few weeks just been playing it to completion and, and doing the dlc and and the dlc and uh yeah, yeah ended up with all the achievements as well along the way so 
definitely of definitely a rinse step, I think, in it, as per usual. Fabulous. Yes, you are the man. Mm. Uh, Carl, what about you? Uh, I guess you've got some history with the uh, with the creator's previous games as well. Yeah, yeah it's um, from the original Fallout games more so than I think a lot of people came to it off the back of New Vegas, right, which kind of built mm. up a cult following. And I, I kind of played the originals on the PC, and whilst it was never my favourite genre, I did love the tone. And that kind of stuck. And I went in and out of Obsidian games. I always felt like they were a little bit hit and miss. Um, And often some of those games were both hit and miss in the title alone. So Mm -hmm. uh, when it came to Game Pass on the day of release, I thought, you know, I'll play this. I'll give it a go. It it felt quite funny. Um, I quite liked the the, uh, sort of the the, the scope of the story and, and the intent of where it was going. Quite liked the art style. Um, which you know, I'll I'll certainly speak about a little later on because it, it is somewhat divisive. Uh, even with myself, <laughs> I, I found it quite divisive. But what I did find really painful was the loading times, um, mm. and I really, really struggled with those loading times. And I think I've just become more of an impatient gamer as time's gone on. And then you know, Tony nominated it for this show, and I wasn't originally scheduled to be on this episode. But at the start of the year, I thought, Do you know what? I quite like the the idea. Well, I'll play this. I've got some time. I think I'd just come off the back of um, Yakuza Like a Dragon. And I thought, yeah, I quite fancy another RPG, but in like a, a different way. And I just started playing it, not in the expectation that I'd actually be on this episode. Uh, and saw, saw the game through to completion, playing it this time on um, the Series X console, where the load times are massively improved if it's on the SSD. Like, it, it's ridiculous. Right. Yeah. Yeah. Um, and that that sort of... It, it sounds stupid that that's the thing that would get me to stick to the game, but the, I did find the load time such a, a turn-off originally. I think um, they can break immersion. And yeah. I think, especially as our expectations have changed, those of us who have been lucky enough to adopt SSD-based consoles in the last couple of years, you do start to really... Notice those load times right. that before you were willing to like five seconds versus thirty-two. Yeah, ticket to yeah. Some places. I mean, that's that's yeah. significant. That's yeah, huge. Yeah, yeah huge percentage-wise. Yeah, and you know, especially in in the later game where you are nipping back and forth, and you see a lot of those loading screens. Mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. I, I can only thank myself, and without trying to sound elitist, of having access to one of these consoles, it really did make that difference for me with with this title. And you know, it, I. I I just ended up playing it along just because I like the idea that other people from the from the show would have been playing it at that time. So it's uh yeah, not it wasn't really a game I was really looking forward to. Obviously I was very aware of the hype um on the basis that this was the first large scale project since New Vegas, um, with you know, the the first person RPG elements and that that did excite me somewhat. But it did get released in 2019, which was a year where I was actually playing a lot of other games. Mm. Um, so it, it did wait. It was always one of those games that sits on the backlog. And, and kind of, as you've already said, Leon, you know, the, one of these things that this show is really good for is actually enforcing the need to play certain other games. Mm. Uh, and for me, you know, even just the idea that other people would be playing it to talk about it so that I could actually listen to the podcast um, was, was the motivation that I needed to see it through. So, uh, Leah, how about you? What's your history with, um, well, with this game, but also with uh, the the kind of the legacy games? Yeah, so I uh, I do have a little bit of a history with uh, previous Obsidian games. I've played a number of them, um, and I, I just enjoy this style of uh, game 
to begin with. I'm not just a JRPG person. I also enjoy Western mm-hmm. RPG, Western style RPGs uh, when when they're done well. And I, I think this one is, but we'll we'll get into that. Um, yeah, so I kind of similarly, I, I never actually got into this game when it was released. And in fact, I kind of forgot that it was a previous generation game yeah, um, right. because I, I think it, it holds up pretty well. And I did play it. I, I played the Game Pass version on the Xbox uh, X, Series X. Um, yeah. So, yeah, I it was one of those things where I slapped it on my Game Pass to play list pretty much when it came out and then just kind of forgot about it to Mm -hmm. the point where when it was put on the schedule for this year i went i went through and did my normal thing where i you know i have a list of the the shows that i'm going to be on and i sit down and i look and i make sure that i either own all of these games or can access them and if i don't i pick them up and that was on there and i'm looking through my catalog and i'm like (laughs) i don't own this where really that that seems like something i would have bought at some point i was oh right game pass so uh yeah, it was it was something I kind of had my eye on, but nothing had really spurred me to to play it above other stuff at the time. So it was a more or less specifically, and I did a pretty thorough playthrough, um, save for the DLC, which I might go back and do. I, I haven't mm. yet, but uh, yeah, I did. Um, how long to beat has it at like, I don't know, like 15 hours or something. And I think yeah. like something like 35 to 40, yeah, um, yeah. just going through all the side stuff and, uh, and picking my way through there, which is also the way that I like to play these games. So that yeah. was, uh, that was where I ended up. Yeah. I don't have a huge amount of history with this game. I was sort of vaguely aware of it. Uh, I noticed that it's, you know, I tend to notice anything that reviews reasonably well. And uh, I was sort of aware of its, history uh to an extent although i've learned a lot more in in the lead up to the show but uh i didn't have any particular urgency to play it and i'm quite glad in the same way as uh the rest of the panel did that uh, i didn't play it when i was still on previous gen hardware um because with the the backwards compatibility plus program or whatever it is and the uh and the xbox series x it probably made for a, a much more a smoother literally and figuratively smoother playing experience so yeah i just played it can't remember when I started, but six or seven weeks ago, I guess, and I finished it a couple of weeks ago. Uh, yeah, probably about thirty-five hours ish to play through, which, as we'll discuss, is a relatively modest length for a game of this type, and that is including doing all the side quests that I could do. Uh, uh, there were a few that I flunked out of due to circumstances, but I did complete most of them, including the the sort of the big side quests, which are the character-based ones. Uh, some of your did- companions have. Uh, Did you get a little bit murdery, Leon? Is that what you're saying? Well, we'll we'll talk about that. Uh, That's yes. I think that it's actually well. Yeah, we'll get into that. Um, but yeah, so I've yeah, that's it. I've I played it on the Xbox Series X and finished it a couple of weeks ago. Um, and yeah, I've played uh, I've played Fallout Three and all the DLC before. We covered that some years ago, which is obviously a kind of relative of this game. But uh, I've never actually got around to playing New Vegas, which is a closer relative of this game. Um, but yes, it it, uh, it made sense to me kind of how it worked and what was going on and the kind of the engine felt familiar and uh, and all that kind of thing. So as I say, uh, I don't think we really don't need to go into too much depth with the kind of history, uh, the creation of, because there is a fantastic resource that does this uh, in an extremely professional and engaging style on the Noclip YouTube channel. They made five videos about the making of this game including interviews with most of the key staff. 
Uh, anyway, all that's there and uh, anything you need to know is contained within. But suffice to say for this podcast, that development began in 2016 and the team comprised of a, a relatively modest 70 people for a game of this type. The team size peaked at 75, which is still, yeah, by modern standards for a uh, open world sci-fi RPG is not a huge amount of people. And the game was published by Private Division, which I didn't know really anything about. Uh, a subsidiary of Take-Two, apparently, uh, <laughs> who's the parent label. Directors then are Leonard Boyarsky, who was uh, on the original Fallout, also worked on Vampire the Masquerade, Bloodlines, and spent 10 years with Blizzard working on Diablo 3. Tim Kane is uh, his old friend and colleague, also from Fallout, and since then has worked on things like South Park, The Stick of Truth with Obsidian and Pillars of Eternity, which is a, a very beloved CRPG as well, of course. Tony already said the game is built and runs in Unreal Engine 4, and it was released on PC, PS4 and Xbox One back in October 25th, 2019. There is a port which was handled by a company called Virtuos, who are uh, a company that have done loads and loads of uh, ports to switch from uh, from PS4 and Xbox One and PC in particular. But the reviews for the Switch version are less positive by far. Um, the PC, PS4 and Xbox One version has an open critic average review score of 83 Whereas the Switch version, according to Metacritic, where it's reviewed separately, has a 66. And if you are considering playing this and you're thinking, oh, it'll be fun to have it portable, I would recommend, strongly recommend watching Digital Foundry's video on the Switch version before you spend out <laughs> the money, because it, it is a severely compromised experience, even compared to things like The Witcher 3. Uh, it looks like they really struggled to get this. It. I mean, it looks really rough. Bear that in mind. I was also surprised to see, so the game has sold over 4 million copies, uh, as last we heard. Um, I was surprised to see on, on Steam, just looking at the Steam page for the game, again, for research purposes, it's still sitting there at a full-priced £49.99, which, when you've played it on Game Pass, feels expensive, but actually for a 40-plus-hour RPG, you know, probably isn't. Yeah, that's, 70 people that's surprising to me. That seems like yeah. a high sales number, given that I'm sure it does not include anything mm. regarding um, Game Pass. No, and it, it also, yeah. but it always goes on sale. You always see it on sale, say on the Xbox, and but it's only right. ever fifty percent off, so it's still you know relatively high. So it's like yeah. twenty five pounds. Then sure. the DLC was relatively expensive as well, and that yeah, you know, I think that's almost like thirty pounds. Yeah, yeah. £32 DLC. So you notice that yeah. was on half price. So that comes down like to 50, you know, 50 yeah. off as well, quite often. But that's it's still, yeah, relatively, it's kept its yeah. price relatively high. Uh, it won some awards, Best Original Game from the Game Critics Awards, uh, won Role Playing Game of the Year from the Dice Awards. It won the Most Promising New Intellectual Property from the SXSW Game Awards, Game Writing for the Nebula Awards. Uh, and Outstanding Video Game from the Glad Media Awards. User reviews. Uh, Steam, it has a very positive review from 16,000 folks, which is pretty healthy sounding. And over on IMDb, it has an 8 out of 10 from 2,000. So what's it all about? 
lost in transit while on a colonist ship bound for the furthest edge of the galaxy. You awake decades later only to find yourself in the midst of a deep conspiracy threatening to destroy the Halcyon colony. As you explore the furthest reaches of space and encounter various factions all vying for power, the character you decide to become will determine how this player-driven story unfolds. In the corporate equation for the colony, you are the unplanned variable. Good setup. Uh, yeah, I mean, I think it. I think it allows. It's a fairly generic setup, right? Like mm -hmm. you, you, I, it's it's Firefly, right? Like that. Mm -hmm. That was what I kept thinking. It's a big influence. Yeah, there are they, some, they, yeah, there are some very. Uh, it, it, there are some very direct analogs to be drawn between some of the characters. Um, in, in yep. both of those, and, and, and I don't a sort think of that's Western frontier kind yeah. of vibe. Yeah, but it's very much a. It's not. It's not the like shiny metallic high tech future space story. It's more the like kind of gritty. Everything is taped together and yeah. um, and not uh, not holding by much other than the the will of the people that are uh, that are flying the ship. Uh, it, it's that kind of space story. Well, right? the ship's called so, the Unreliable. I mean, yeah, exactly. Yeah. <laughs> yes. So I, I mean, it's it's it's. I, I tend to prefer that kind of mm -hmm. science fiction rather than yeah. the shiny kind. Mm -hmm. um, but I, 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 it's not that I dislike the other one, but this sure. falls more into that. And I think it can be, they, they can both be interesting. But to me, this one is, uh, it, it just lends itself more to people that, and characters that have uh, stories that I want to listen to and I want to kind of expand on. So the backstory is that the game is set in an alternate future that diverged in 1901 when the US president William McKinley is not assassinated by Leon Jogolsh. I don't know the pronunciation of that, I'm afraid, at the Pan-American Exposition. As a result, Roosevelt never succeeded him and the great business trusts of the era were never broken up, leading to a hyper-corporate, class-centric society dominated by the power of mega corporations, which by the distant future have begun to colonize space and terraform alien planets to varying results. Hundreds of Earth residents lured by the promise of a fresh start sign up for the chance to travel to this new frontier. The only thing I'd say about that uh, alternate future that diverged in 1901 is it sounds very much like <laughs> the, the future. No. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, it doesn't. I'm not sure whether I guess the, the, the divergence is more about the aesthetic and some of the science and tech that's in this world. So it's um, we're not in space quite yet. Not like yeah, that they, anyway. That's right. And they well, didn't. Billionaires are kind of in a yeah, in a in a minimal and uncomfortable way. Um, I think in this universe, they never split the atom, I think. So it's so it's kind of I think that's how they've differentiated it from fallout in this regard in that it's uh, it's a non-nuclear future possibly um but so beyond where did, that um where did this uh because i mean they don't some of this is is stuff that you know i i would have already known but i don't think that most of this is dialogue that you the, no. the way that you find out about a lot it's of this history of is most of this start. just kind of there's a voiceover yeah, yeah which tells oh, you some oh, okay. of it yeah. Which uh, yeah, after yeah, like yeah. forty hours, you would have completely yeah. forgotten about. I, yeah. I was gonna say like, I mean, this this does sound familiar, but I would not have gone the the sure. Kinley thing. Yeah. Um, no, I think no. it's there, isn't it? In little bits of side story and documents, and I think the yeah. the concept is that it's a world that's led by um, by the rich and the classists rather than by science. Whereas mm -hmm. obviously, the present world is we were science first, led <laughs> yeah. these ants, which is why science is 
you know, you, you've got the hidden science weapons that you can find. Phineas feels like he's yes. ostracized for having a science mind, and, mm. you know. Yeah, so Phineas is the kind of, uh, seems like might be the key antagonist at the start of the game, and I think can be, depending on the way you act through the game. So and Phineas... If you, decide to, uh, if you decide to basically side with the corporations, yeah, then then yeah, he's he's very much the bad guy. You can turn him in pretty early, you I can, think. You can, yeah. Almost, almost the you first can. mission, if you wanted to. Right. Yeah. So he is based apparently on a, he's an amalgam of Walter from that TV show. Breaking uh, Bad? No, no, not <laughs> okay. that water. That's where my mind went straight no. away. I was like, no. Um, oh, I know this because my partner loves it and she watched it all twice. Uh, uh, it's kind of future sci-fi show, Walter um, scientist. Um, I, I, if, I don't know. If, if she can hear me right now, she's, she's probably doing her <laughs> head in. Uh, Fringe. Fringe. Oh, fringe. Oh, fringe. fringe. Yeah, just yeah. watched that again recently. Well. A, cr- a cross between Walter from Fringe and uh, and um, Rick from Rick and Morty. Yeah, <laughs> I was going to say right. Doc Brown. Like, yeah, same, same, same energy. Right. Uh-huh. Rick is Rick is Doc Brown, huh? Pretty As much. I understand it, yeah. So, uh, I mean, well, yeah. I suppose we'll get into the choices we made. Um, the some of the blurb says the player driven story. Seeing RPG. which of you are monsters. <laughs> as usual guessing tony i got my eyes on you buddy you will judge us all monsters uh in keeping with obsidian tradition how you approach the outer worlds is up to you your choices affect not only the way the story develops but your character build companion stories and end game scenarios you can be flawed in a good way new to the outer worlds is the idea of flaws these are the kind of amp- an- uh, anti-perks i suppose uh where you can elect to uh well i say elect depends on your difficulty level on a normal difficulty you can uh, elect to take a permanent uh debuff but in the uh in you get something else in you get a perk a point. perk you get a perk for it yeah you get anti-perk and a perk yeah uh during your journey through the furless colony you will meet a host of characters who will want to join your crew Armed with unique abilities, these companions all have their own missions, motivations, and ideals. It's up to you to help them achieve their goals or turn them to your own ends. Or if you want, and this isn't on the blurb, you can just sack them at any point you wish. I was terrified that I was going to accidentally do that because if you talk to them and you don't have like a specific conversation that they want to have from you, like one of the first options is I think you should leave or you're fired or, you know, something something along those lines. And I I was, I was like, oh God, what if I button through and accidentally get rid of one of my people? Like, I don't want to. I wonder if you have to confirm it if you do that. I was, I was hoping. I don't know. It it never Never actually happened. I never tried. (laughs) Uh, what kicking one of your companions back to the ship? Yeah, no, very back, easy. no out out of the out of the out of the crew, not just back to the ship, but out of ah. the crew altogether. So if you if you do that, if you do the automatic kicking back to the ship, but if you did that while you're in the ship, you'll actually remove them from your group from the ship yeah. from the yeah from the from the unreliable. Uh, Tim Kane and Leonard Boyarsky, the creators of the Fallout series, serve as the game's directors, taking inspiration from Fallout, Firefly, Futurama, Deadwood, and True Grit. Mm-hmm. The duo of directors described the game as a combination of Boyarsky's dark morbidity and Tim's silliness, and they hope to seek a balance between silliness and drama when creating the game's tone and narrative, according to Wikipedia. I think that is uh, the, the the tone is uh, is one as described there, and I think it does 
retain that from Fallout to an extent. You've got the the traditional cannibal family quest, but you've also got some quite goofy and light-hearted elements as well, and some very broad and and uh, kind of comic characters, but also some quite serious commentary. Does that work for that sort of amalgamation of tone? Did that work for you, folks, uh, Tony? <laughs> It's both a blessing and a curse, I think, for the game. Um, it's a blessing because, like I say, it's fairly, it's fairly light and airy on its feet. Um, there is dark humour in there, but quite often there's a lot of just kind of silly stuff that's around the edges. And quite often, you know, something that could feel serious, you've got a character kind of making jokes around the subject and it kind of loses all... Um, I don't know. Yeah, it loses all kind of it's tension in some scenes just because, you know, mm. the characters are that much kind of flighty. Um, at the same time, I, I guess, you know, the game sets its stall out and it knows what's it, what it wants to be. And I think if you're coming into this looking for something like Fallout, I think it, it can be quite a jarring moment because it, to me, it's yes, there is elements of Fallout in there, but it, it's not in that kind of same real dark toll. Like even the corporation stuff, it's played for almost, you know, silly laughs rather than, you know, look how serious this can be for our society. Um, and yeah, so it can come, it doesn't always come across, I think, as as powerful as the game's writing could make it be, if that makes sense. Hmm. Yeah, I yeah. think it can be a little bit jarring at times because I, I agree that it's, it, it is almost, I, I won't say that it's too silly, but I will say that it leans on that in my estimation, kind of heavier than mm-hmm. it does on the dark stuff. Mm-hmm. Um, and I don't mind that, really. I, I don't need something that approaches serious topics occasionally to always be, like, sit you down and go, okay, mm-hmm. here's what we're talking about, and we need you to take this seriously, and it's very important. And, you know, I I don't need that, but also sometimes it feels a little off because you'll get something later, like one of the first big decisions that you have to make is whether you're going to route power mm-hmm to the um kind of to the the town that has been established or to this little offshoot colony of uh of deserters who have gone away from the company and kind depending of on the community yeah sort of and depending on what the decision is that you make you later find out that basically it kills the colony if you don't yep. cut the power to them <laughs> and like that just feels a little bit off to me because you know you're you're going through this whole thing you're like oh okay cool well i'm gonna you know and if you're if you're me you're like okay well i'm gonna help the the people who said screw the colony mm. and i'm yep. gonna give them power and it's gonna be great and because these people have too much anyway and it's not that they have too much it's that you are taking everything from them so this i, I I kind of like that because I, I like it when there's not really one good choice. And I, I think that this game yeah. does kind of do a good job of giving you consequences regardless of which, you know, it, it's a little bit more difficult to do the air quotes good path, you know, and yeah, to be the, the paragon for mm-hmm. to, to draw a parallel there. But it does sometimes feel a little, uh, well, like I said, jarring mm. to have these kind of serious consequences coming when the tone has been pretty silly yeah. the entire time leading and, up to that. And in, right. in that same town that you're making the, those choices between, actually, one of the first encounters you have is, you know, a character talking about not being able to afford his gravesite. Like he's behind on his pavement, mm-hmm. payments that if mm. he was to die, he wouldn't be buried. 
he would be basically be shot out to space and actually it would be a you know a, a black mark against his family and his family in the future also wouldn't be allowed to have a gravesite because he hadn't kept up with his pavement for for that rented space essentially mm. the corporation still has you renting space even in your in, in your death and like some of that's you know that stuff i mean it's when you say it out loud it you know it tonally it sounds really quite dark mm. but somehow but it's presented as almost a joke yeah right? somehow like, it plays it, it, well, out I mean, not like that yeah it's yeah. you know you're, you're almost meant to laugh at it when it, it's quite a serious kind of like okay well this is really where society could end up and that's not to say that the game doesn't have those moments and in fact you know I, there's a, a piece of dlc oh was it the gorgon one i can't remember the full title Peril. Peril the Peril Peril Gorgon, which is the first piece of DLC they released after um, after the game had come out, and about eighteen months or a year later, and it actually goes a long way to address a lot of those issues. So I think a lot of people just said this game was a bit, maybe a bit too lighthearted, and actually that goes completely the other way. It it really focuses on a lot of kind of this big dark quest, and you have characters that are really reacting to the environment around them, and it and it really feels like it pays off, and it's like oh no this. I guess like anybody that plays this will understand this feels like Firefly. Like if you told me this was Firefly, the game, and they put that over the top of it, I'll go, uh-huh. Yep. They made Firefly the game, but actually Firefly in those elements where it was you know, inherently funny and silly at times also had those moments of reflection and darkness that yeah. really hit twice as hard because they were, you, you felt like you're in kind of this space opera and um, yeah, that I, I, I guess I wish that, the Outer Worlds trod that line between kind of Fallout's quite dark, macabre tone and where this is quite light-hearted. It's not, I mean, it's not just dumb jokes. It really it doesn't come off like that. But it, it, at times it just feels maybe just a little too airy. It's, I, think, I don't want to be dismissive of the work that Obsidian have done because I remember back at uni I had to try and map out a, a multi-branch story. Oh my goodness! And it's something that was far, far smaller than this oh, was yeah. incredibly difficult. So complicated, but really. It does feel like it never really pushes itself outside of what I call like a safe zone. So we have all these different areas of, you know, you can you can have real dark, you can have real humor, you can have high levels of charisma and risk and reward, and it doesn't really feel like it ever goes down any of those paths. Um, you know, you've already mentioned there. There's certain things about the gravestone. I think the one that, that got me was um, Udon Bedford, who's the representative of the board that you can talk to on Groundbreaker. And if he isn't seen as doing his job for quite a large period of the game, you'll eventually go there, and it'll be someone else. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and they don't yeah. really say what's happened to him, but basically, he's been murdered for not doing his job properly. But and that that that's quite dark in uh, that I quite enjoyed that, but that's about as dark as it ever got. And I feel like at times I was I wasn't sure whether I was supposed to find something funny or find something surprising. And I'd have just liked it to have really committed in one of those directions. And I think without the motivator of something like a, a high charisma character at the middle of it, and I'm you know I'm not saying I'm not charismatic or that I am charismatic, but that that doesn't really matter as the you know the protagonist of the game doesn't really have any input compared to you know you think firefly and you've got nathan fillion who's you know captain charisma when it comes to being in these roles and it really drives those things forward in the world of firefly and that's really hollow in the outer worlds well, well on um, the other I, hand though i think that's where the 
where your um, teammates kind of pick up some of that slack mm -hmm. just because, you know, you, you can build your team to kind of reflect mm -hmm. what you want to see in that in that route. And they're all to some degree kind of light and silly. And I suspect that a lot of people stuck with Parvati for most of the game because yep. she's just she's the first character that you can get on your team, I believe. And, you know, yeah. is is has clearly had a lot written for her and is clearly supposed to be one of the focus characters. Um, and she's Kaylee from Firefly. I, so, like, I mean, that's, yeah. you know, that's that's good. I like that. Um, but, yeah, I mean, I, I think I think that the way that you build your party in that does a, a lot of the, the kind of heavy lifting where the, the central charismatic character is concerned. And I was very charismatic. I, I have a soft spot for any game where I can talk my way out of the last yeah. boss without having I, to I tell you what is, And I did that. Yeah. Here, so. oh, nice. I'll give you a, okay. a confident thing. So in, in my Supernova playthrough, which is the hardest difficulty playthrough, I was basically streamlining yeah. and trying to get through the game as fast as possible. So I didn't actually take on any companions. I just, you know, streamlined my playthrough really fast. Huh. And, right. um, you, so you can reject Pavati's um, request to join your team. And they really yeah. push that. Like, you can say no two or three times. <laughs> and they're like, really? Are you sure? Yeah. Because... Well, you'll have no... You have very little dialogue if you have no companions, it's... right? Because you're a mute protagonist. And I felt terrible when she... Found, like, okay, I'll, I'll just stay here fixing Aww. stuff in the... You hurt Ashley Birch. In the port there. And it was... <laughs> I was, like, mortified at my actions. But um, you could see, yeah, that they were desperate for that to be a, you know, mm. a really main focus of that kind of companion thing. And, and, yeah, she... For me, I mean, you are, I guess, a silent protagonist in, in a way that you you have words to pick. You can be that kind sure, of, like, yeah. you know, play it down the central goody-goody two-shoes or utterly some of the dialogue choices for being, I guess, more... Renegade are very, very funny and very on. Apparently, on point. the ones if you put if you put zero points into intelligence, yes. I think it is like your character barely is able to function yeah, as, a, as a sentient being. You well, actually that's have a very yeah. Fallout thing. You actually have right. a whole new yeah. uh, tree line of stuff that you get to like choices you would never see just through your normal gameplay. Um, so right. I, I can't remember what they call it, but yeah, it's a whole nother. It's like the persuade one, but it's called you know, I don't think it's called dumb, but it's around. But that. you'll also just. It do, it does have impacts as well. So like when you if you try and fix your ship, you'll fly into the sun. And, yeah, that's you brilliant. Know, things like this. <laughs> wow. Okay. So it's you know it, it can have it can yeah. have high high impacts on terms of being stupid. You literally don't know how like human interactions work and things like mm -hmm. that. It's like you are almost a kind of a, a primordial being. <laughs> but yeah. So but like Leo was saying, the I really feel like the the companions, which you know we, we'll talk about. They are, they are, I guess, the the way of interacting with this story in a more kind of traditional kind of backwards and forwards. And actually seeing mm. seeing their reaction to the world around you is is interesting. Like, you know, if you go to uh, the, one of the upper class kind of metropolises cities, you know, and you've got, uh, was it Naikota? Naikota. Like she... She just doesn't understand the wealth that is being spent in these places, and she, you know, and, and the kind of hypocrisy of of where she's been living and trying to survive versus you know these upper class folk, and, like, and that that's the stuff that kind of you know you bash up against and actually it's, delivers a bit more of information. I just even then, I just feel like it just fell a bit flat. It, it for me, it was just that was a miss. You know, if you compare it to the yardstick, and the obvious one is going to be Mass Effect, right, in terms of science fiction mm -hmm. and your sidekicks and stuff. And there, there ain't no Garrus in this game, let's no. be honest. 
So, I will not but be then... buying body pillows of any of these characters. <laughs> exactly. Term. Personally, exactly. I'd rather have a Parvati body pillow than a Garrus, but you know, each to um, But each even if you look at <laughs> even if you look at other games that have come out since, you think of um, God of War, you think of The Last of Us, you think of Uncharted Four, all of which have these sidekick characters that are consistently back and forth and have that charisma and and, and humor and tone that goes with the world, and it just. All of this fell a little bit flat for me with the characters, and I wanted something to bounce back and forth. I just feel like it never committed in any one. I direction. would also point out that you you are talked about like four absolutely massive first party AAA games versus you know uh, you know a seventy. Um, yeah, I'm very aware. That's but... true, but I mean they are inviting that comparison by the type of yeah, game that and, it is. Yeah. I think. I think. I think it, what comes across a little bit is that they they are maybe overreaching. For, you know, although this is relatively short for a you know, Western RPG in, in some regards, I think it feels like mm. they have reached quite far. And because they've mm. reached into the territory of something like a Mass Effect, you can't help but draw comparisons. And those comparisons aren't going to be necessar- necessarily favourable because you know they are coming up against one of the greatest games of all time. So you, but that's what Yard no, and for, it is, right? yeah. No, and and I think you know, for, but for a kind of new IP first kind of reach. I think they did a relatively good job, and I think there's a lot. Like I say, with the DLC, I feel like there's a lot of lessons they learn almost the moment the game came back and the feedback came back. And I think you know that's what makes you think. Well, the Outer Worlds too may may fix a lot of these issues. But I, what I will say is, wow, there's a lot of voice work. You know, there there is yeah. a, yeah. a like there is once like any of these games, there's you can answer the basic question with a yes no answer and almost just leave conversation in which case there is some dialogues things where i've been in there but that seems like you know the good 10 10 minutes of dialogue that you could have just dumped and skipped within four seconds if you so choose to play that way and that to me is incredible and it like all the voice work is solid there isn't there isn't a you know particularly bad jarring character in there like the like i said Pavati in particular is it's actually a really fantastically voiced character She's a sort of spark of humanity well, she's in the game. Yeah. <laughs> she's she's very sweet and uh, uh, yeah. You I was can very t- invested in her storyline. Yes. That's no, it. Yes. You do not Same. have you she... do not have romance options in this game, which is no. a shame. So but, you have a companion yeah. romance option. Your companions, yeah. yes. I I was I was very touched. I I drove her all over the galaxy to find what she needed. Beautifully, apparently awkward. everyone does that. Yeah. Yes. Appar- yeah. <laughs> So the the again watching the the no clip videos like they were saying that actually this quest uh, before the voice acting um, they 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 use uh, like uh, computer generated voices um, so it you know obviously they're they're not what they were but they're still they're they're relatively lacking in subtlety and inflection and things like that so so they used that they they ran this quest you know through that and they they were almost ready to drop it because it seemed so utterly mundane go and get the perfume go and get the shoes whatever else you know to uh, to to send but once uh, once Ashley Birch kind of got mm. got to to do it and imbued it with all this uh, humanity and sweetness and awkwardness um you know she's got this massive crush on this uh, kind of uh, quite serious powerful engineer character in the uh, in the citadel and um yeah it's uh it it's transformative and they were talking about that as and it's one of the things that we try to kind of get to grips with in this podcast and have been for over a decade which is that this is where kind of video games uh really capture our hearts and our imaginations because without you know with just mechanically that doesn't work but it's the kind of marriage of 
of the the writing and the performance and the fact that it's interactive and the fact that you're choosing to fly around the galaxy uh purely on this you know relatively in the in the grand scheme of things trivial quest you could say but actually you know what's more important than uh than blossoming love in uh, in a cruel galaxy were there any other uh of the the characters or uh side or their side quests or other n- not necessarily the character quests but just any uh, storylines in the game or characters which which any of you found particularly engaging or or compelling not exactly a storyline but just something i wanted to say about the uh the characters that you choose to be in your party if you have the same kind of pairing pretty consistently, which I usually yeah. did. Mm-hmm. Uh, I mean, I, I put different characters into my party when I was doing their storylines, of course, and everything same, yeah. like that. But uh, for the most part, I had Parvati and Sam, and Sam is the cleaning ah, robot. <laughs> cleaning that, robot. Uh, yeah, yeah. I, and I, I just loved Sam. He's, uh, he's, I, I think he's a he. Uh, he, um, <laughs> a they, how about that? Yeah, um, Sam, Sam um, when... You can't uh, uh, change out Sam's armor or weapons, no. but it it always kind of seems like I played this on the normal difficult, whatever the default difficulty yeah. is, I, uh, and it just by the end of the game, my characters were so powerful that sometimes I wouldn't even get to what they were killing before <laughs> I before everything yeah. was dead. So I, I had no problems there. But uh, it's if you do have the same kind of consistent team members then what will happen is the dialogue that they have kind of goes on its own little, like very tiny mini storyline. Yeah. The conversations that they have, the thing that I, the thing that I just really thought was adorable because uh, Parvati, you know, being an engineer, she will kind of go down that route with Sam because, you know, Mm -hmm. Sam is a robot and she ends up being Sam's like official minder or official technician or something (laughs) and eventually teaches them how to tell a knock knock joke. Uh, which is, is I don't know, I just thought that was really sweet because, they, you know, it early on, Parvati will start the joke and then Sam, you know, obviously just does the standard robot, I do not understand or whatever the, the line yeah, is, I have yeah. no idea. But then later on, she'll try again and obviously they have been working on it because Sam actually follows along and it's, I, you know. Um, I thought actually Max, the, the vicar, had quite a, an interesting kind of story arc as well, kind of trying to yeah, find yeah. find something, peace in his own life. Um, and once again, another Firefly reference as well. Yeah. What I will say is this, The Outer Worlds, I think what drew me to it first time around, it still, for me, has one of the most funniest opening scenes ever in a game where you go to land on a planet. When you inherit you, the ship, you, right? Well, you inherit the ship, you get shot down to the planet to meet your yes. quest giver. And the ship lands on the quest giver. <laughs> That's yeah. and, uh, to to me that set up everything. It was like okay, yeah, no, this. It would have been a very different game uh, if you if that hadn't no. happened. So the so so your 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 guide it says oh it's their fault because they held onto the beacon <laughs> that guided you down right. So you don't feel guilty as such. Um, but yeah, actually the idea was that. Um, from the from Phineas's point of view, right, was that the uh, the space captain was going to be the space captain. Mm-hmm. So effectively, you are you're just supposed to be this kind of um, you know go between messenger and the cool space captain guy with the ship's going to do all the cool space captain guy stuff. But you end up inheriting that mantle because because you land on yeah. him. It reminded me, I mean, quite a lot of this game reminded me, and obviously there's a connection um, historically, but it reminded me of Dragon Age Origins, 
um, with the the side characters chatting to each other in various locations and having these ongoing uh, banterous relationships. And yeah, the kind of the end. And I know, I guess it's just a common thing for RPGs, particularly Western RPGs, to have that kind of. And here's what happened because you did this, and mm-hmm. here's what happened because you did that, and and it's yeah, it's cool, uh, but it's also quite a lot to take on and. Quite a lot of these decisions I found are things that you've done maybe 15, 20 hours ago in the game. Um, but actually that first that first key decision that Leah was talking about, uh, which I, I also went with the kind of the hippie option, um, you know, save the plants, not the factory effectively. Um, that has, yeah, that has major consequences for for the for the entire rest of your experience and who your allies are and who your antagonists are. Another cool feature about this game, I think, is that you can have both fear and respect. It's not just simply like and dislike in terms of other factions within the game world. So you can be admired and feared. You can be loved and admired. You can be, you know, there there are there's two bars, there's two sliders which actually dictate how people treat you. But yes, you mentioned, um, I, I said earlier, like... I'm not sure exactly which choice it was or which set of choices, but I did end up in a, effectively in a war with the final location in the game um, and the final couple of locations, actually, including Byzantine, the, the rich city. Uh, I was just like, I couldn't go there without being attacked. So I ended up kind of killing everyone there, <laughs> effectively. I had something similar. Like right. I, I when I got there for the first time, I was fine. But mm. after... There's a point at which you the storyline takes you in to meet the um I don't remember whether he's the ambassador or um there it's the character who's basically trapped in his own mansion. Um yes. when I went in there I tried to sneak and I failed and the yeah. guard saw me so I killed them. <laughs> uh and then after that nobody liked me anymore. Yeah, <laughs> that sounds familiar actually. Yeah. Yeah, so yeah. Uh, so leaving the city was a little messy, but when I got there it was fine. <laughs> I suppose one last thing I want to really touch upon before we move on to uh, art and stuff is the uh, often people say that a story or a film uh, certainly in some case games don't work without a compelling convincing frightening relatable but yet so yeah re- yet relatable antagonist uh, this game doesn't really have one main big bad right it has it has factions and elements of those. I mean, there is a final boss if if you end up fighting it, which I did. Uh, I ended up cheesing the hell out of it, to be honest, talking about the game being robust. <laughs> um, I, I actually was a bit weak for the final boss fight with a big that robot, which seemed fight. seemed quite reductive and, uh, and, and a bit out of place. But I understood that they had to have something in there. I don't know why I wasn't able to kind of use my engineering and intelligence to get around it like leah did i guess in you, real life you do I wasn't have to have enough. pretty it's like 104 stats. isn't it i think uh, okay. on, in multiple stats yeah I, think. It's, I, I don't i don't remember what it is but yeah i there was there are like three checks that you have to pass mm. in order to talk your way out of it and oh, i missed I one of them like i i i had the stats for two of them but i i thought that i was gonna have to fight because i didn't have the stats for one of those checks they let you do I, two I out of three just, I guess I I don't know exactly what the the formula is there, but whatever it was, I made I made whatever the correct decisions happened to be, um, to be able to do that. So yeah, I did I did not fight the final boss. I I talked at the nice. final boss. And and while we're on the subject of the final boss, the lady and I don't even remember the character's name, but do you even see her before that last segment? Because like when they when they put her 
like I did not remember hmm. her name coming up anywhere really, and I, I guess it's possible that I just missed it, but. Like, she kind of came out of nowhere. She, she does opinion. set up the whole end sequence probably about ten hours before the end. It's, well, five, six hours before the end. Yeah. Um, I thought, because I thought that the uh, the other the other character, the um, the uh, ambassador or whatever his, yeah. whatever his name is, I thought he was going to be the final boss. And yeah. I just kind of offhandedly shot him going through the TV studio. And I was like, <laughs> I, it wasn't until I was looting later. I was like, oh, it's that guy. Hey, buddy. <laughs> like, yeah. Yeah, so the, I suppose that the the the, antag the main antagonist of the game is the, the you know the company, the big the, the evil corporation that enslaves and sometimes uses humans for food and things like that. Um, it's the kind of the uh, it's it's a fairly played out uh, trope, but one that is still you know obviously relevant in fiction because it's relevant in real life. Um, but I have fewer kind of memories of individual. I just have this sort of sense of yeah, various bureaucrats and. Uh, administrators and things like that who were all kind of uh spanner putting spanners in the works but there wasn't kind of one in particular that was like the and i, and I did what is it actually if you if you decide to go against phineas wells uh and you said you can turn him in early in the game is he then just out of the picture from that point on because i i was still going back to phineas's base late in the game um looking for clues and he gets carried off and uh yeah so yeah the part where he gets kidnapped yes i did i did uh go save him effectively but yeah mm. I, I talked uh i talked the lady out of killing yeah him. so so the i think what leon referenced in that the i think almost the second quest of the game you can actually turn phileas in yeah um, so what happens to the rest of the phineas stuff if you do the, i mean the game is very good at just giving you very short endings so uh, the carl referenced an ending earlier which is very funny which is you can just drive um the the starship straight into the sun and then and then and <laughs> right. end the game very premature like five hours ahead of just yeah, the ahead of yeah. time, roll. um which is very funny uh, it doesn't count towards it uh, technically doesn't count towards an ending because it's ridiculous but you know it is there mm. so i think if the yes. stuff it just ends the game faster than you would you know you you don't have much of a gameplay story arc. Uh, so they're, they're kind okay. of fake endings but they are you know they okay. you get credit rolls they are funny um but they're not, yeah, I guess wouldn't be canon if you, per se. Magical Isopod from our forum says, I was kind of disappointed by this one, to be honest. It purports to be a sarcastic takedown of corporate capitalism, but it never quite quite gets there. It builds up these cartoonishly evil companies, but it doesn't go much further than that. Any real social commentary is skin deep, and it feels afraid to do anything more than that. It felt to me that they had more biting commentary, but someone scaled it back. Whether it was the publisher or whether they were afraid of blowback, from an aggressively polarised public? I can't say for sure. I'd love to ask a writer exactly that, given the chance. But because it holds back those punches, I never found myself getting too invested in what was going on in this world, in the same way as I was in Fallout New Vegas. New Vegas was like, what political stripe are you? Doesn't matter, we probably have a faction you'll get along with. And it gave you like five different options for the fate of New Vegas. Here it just felt like you existed in an obnoxious American TV ad where loud equals funny. I'm really curious what the sequel will do, given the general success of the original. I'd be willing to give the series another chance, but I do hope they learn and evolve. And Tolkien Taters says, uh, On its own, the writing is clever. The corporation's religion is an especially fun idea, and your decisions have impact. 
Your party is made up of memorable characters, but the fact that your decisions almost always boil down to help corporations, help rebel or compromise, makes it a little less interesting, especially on a replay where the characters don't react to some of the atrocious things they can do on the corporate path. To illustrate a big difference, my first playthrough of both Outer Worlds and New Vegas had me playing a character out to do their own thing, aligning close to my moral code. I tried to do a Caesar's Legion playthrough of New Vegas and couldn't keep going. The characters I liked the most hated me and want, wanted nothing to do with me, so I stopped playing that way and betrayed the Legion. In the Outer Worlds, I played a corporate mercenary who killed everyone in Edgewater and Parvati was pretty much fine with it. I didn't get much opposition to doing horrible things. It's a fun time in some interesting colourful environments, but it just doesn't quite compare to New Vegas. I wasn't necessarily looking for a game that big, but I did expect a little more variation in choices. Despite that, I liked it enough to play it twice and would definitely recommend it. Let's talk about the graphics as we've been going an hour and <laughs> yeah. whatever. Um, you know, I mean, arguably not the most important element of a, of a game like this, but uh, I think they have a, they have a certain uh, a flair to them. Um, but I'm not sure. I, I, I felt like the, the game was never pretty, um, but to call it just functional would seem cruel as well. I guess I think the skyboxes were nice. Uh, with the, I guess the kind of signature of the game is these uh, sort of low-hanging planets and starscapes and things like this. Um, but uh, the the actual environments, everything's kind of everything works and it's all fairly clear. But there were very few locations where I was actually like just standing there looking in awe. Um, and and cert again, certain aspects I think betrayed the sort of the the lack of budget or whatever or or numbers in the development in that uh there weren't you know sort of too many interesting magical caves or anything to discover in the land no, the land not really it feels all kind of like it, it it's a it's either a big game that feels small or a small game that feels big i'm not quite sure it almost masks it right because it has these you know you've mentioned the corporations a few times and they play a big part and you've got anti-cleos with the, the the medicines and stuff and you've got um, sort of spaces choice and stuff and I think the idea is that you've got these companies that only build those types of houses so they're your only options no matter where you are in terms of the functionality of these houses so you hit Edgewater and then you hit every other town after Edgewater and you realise that buildings are pretty much the same yeah. Um, even way beyond what you would expect to see in other games where you go, oh, I've seen that building before no, I mean you have literally seen that building yes. in other areas because they're identical yeah. um, and it, it it uses that as a story arc to 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 almost get away with it. But one of the things that I would have expected in a world that, you know, it, it obviously is called Outer Worlds and you've got these big planets and you can go to all these different places. It doesn't have that awe that certain games bring when you see something in the distance and you go, oh, I'm going to get there. And, you know, the exploration to get there is part of the whole journey. I mean, obviously we're talking about this after Elden Ring and that's obviously a huge part of the Elden Ring world isn't it is that if you see something you can venture there and hopefully go and see it and it never feels like that's really a thing there's a couple of cliffs that mask a lot of things and the the scale of it makes it feel small and 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 that i felt was really really frustration frustrating and it might have been to do with the budget it probably was to do with a low tech team and, and the made stuff work um but the art style that they were going for that almost demi-western kind of 
approach to 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 towns and stuff i quite liked you know how I, but the game is not ugly the game is not really that pretty and functional is disrespectful like you said leon it it it, it puts itself in a really strange position um of where it sits what it, it doesn't necessarily look like every other unreal game mm. and it does use things like chromatic aberration which is to, optional to, interesting to have that effect yeah yeah um and you know i, I obviously i i had this conversation with you yeah. on, on, on slack a couple of weeks ago in that i really struggled and one of the things i really struggled with this game with the first time i played it is it almost made me feel, i'm not claustrophobic mm. but it almost gave me that impression that things were too tight in yeah um and with the with the frame rate was on the Xbox One mm. and you know, the, the the Xbox Series X really did open up a, a bunch of things other than just loading times and one of those was the ability to play it at a nice consistent high frame mm. rate and expand the field of view out yeah from what is a very small thing and I, I think I played at a hundred between a hundred and a hundred and ten. And I altered the chromatic aberration, whether I wanted that on or off to try these different things. Mm. And it made a huge difference mm. for me in how I actually approached the game. And I started to appreciate it a lot more once I'd opened the field of view out and I could actually see, yeah. you know, a, a little bit of the wasteland Sense area. Of scale, the yeah. Hills. Yeah. yeah, exactly. Mm. And once I got that, I was a lot happier in my approach. But the problem is I didn't really see that for the first yeah. five, six, seven, eight hours yeah. of the game. And, and yeah, and, and that... Once I'd seen that in the options, that that was a difference maker mm. for me to go. Actually, do you know what? I'm quite comfortable playing this game now. I don't feel, I feel like I can breathe. I assume they when I'm playing they it. set it at 75 or whatever, whatever by default to keep the frame rate up on the on yeah. the base Xbox One, particularly also the PS4. Uh, but yes, uh, <clears throat> I think 90 is the kind of is considered optimal for like FPS players, um, yeah. and and more if you want, you know, yeah, for a for a for a, a a cinematic RPG experience, more than more than ninety can can actually be beneficial yeah, as well. On one hundred and ten, so <laughs> right. I don't know what the chromatic aberration actually does, but it gives it a certain it it gives it a certain sheen, doesn't it? It's uh, it's curious. I played it on whatever the defaults are, and I thought yeah. it was perfectly fine. Um, yeah, yeah. Personally, I, <laughs> I would agree that it's will. not really. Uh, it's not a spectacular looking game really but i did think it was pretty it's just okay it there wasn't a ton of variance like like no. y'all were saying it it yeah, that that would be something that yeah. i would maybe like to see in an outer wilds too uh, ha, ha. Hey, there world. we go there <laughs> it is <laughs> sorry um but yeah that, that because you do go to different planets and while it doesn't mm. necessarily have to be a this planet is completely different from this planet is completely different from like at this point it's like well there's one that's kind of purple um yeah. but everything yeah. else looks yeah you don't necessarily similar. want to go down the star wars route of desert snow jungle yeah, whatever because exactly. that, that's kind of rough, be, uh, that but you yeah. say that but i honestly it was hard to tell some planets apart from other planets you know other You're and right. you yeah. know i think the was, yeah. the thing i like is it's a colorful game like it it's not worried about using yeah. you know big blobs of color and trees being you it's know, got that retro sci-fi uh book yeah, so cover it's, kind you know, of that, vibe. so if you showed me a screenshot I'd, I'd be able to pick out the outer worlds from a lineup going, oh no that's the outer world sure but at the same time it feels like it's a facsimile of many other kind of western rpgs and it, it doesn't have the class or the style of, say something like a mass effect yeah it and it doesn't have the kind of grittiness of something like fallout and it tries to sit somewhere in between 
and it just doesn't quite you know create a style of its own and i think some of that is because the worlds feel a little claustrophobic as we said it's the outer worlds you'd think you'd kind of travel between it feels like it needs a travel system between place and place yeah. and just jumping on this ship i was gonna say even from a to b compare the yeah compare the atmosphere of being on that uh that famous star map on mass oh, effect yeah. 2 yeah. compared to the what feels just like it feels like i don't know like a little board game mm-hmm. or something on on the outer worlds yeah. it's just like move your token from ship to, to from place to place and even though it's no different just the combination of audio visual impact yeah. on, on mass effect yeah suddenly really comes across yeah it loses scale uh and i suppose another thing that i feel like has an effect on the 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 feeling of of size or scope of the game is the music in that you have this grand theme that we talked about, which I, which I think is very nice and, uh, you know, big on the cellos and orchestration and things. But again, once you're in the game, there are, I think there are some really pretty and atmospheric musical cues, but it felt like there were, a, to me, it felt like there were about five of them and they just get used over and over yeah, but and one over of, again. One of that them was down, 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 which was... It's got the slide guitar, which sounds... They took it from Borderlands and they... And they popped it into, <laughs> and I was like, they could, they could play that for the yeah. entire game, and my dreams of a Firefly game is this, and I'm happy. And every time <laughs> they played it, I was like, yes. And then I realized, oh, it's not the Firefly. Game. But you know, there, there is, there is, there is that kind of Western sci-fi Western theme that runs throughout Firefly and Serenity, and that is absolutely apparent here, and it really works, even if it is a, <laughs> a copy of somebody almost feels like a copy of other work. But it doesn't have that majesty of, like we said, something like a Mass Effect where you, you're really like, oh, my God, this is selling the world to me. Um, but it's I've, I found the score and the musical tones and stuff actually one of the more stronger aspects of the game that actually, you know, uh, yeah, it kept me in involved in the world itself. And the sound design. Yeah, um, I, I fine. I'm not sure I have too <laughs> much to say. It's all functional. Um, there were some. There was some gun noises that weren't completely flabby, which is always welcome. Uh, I think my main issue with the sound design, and this comes back to, you know, we, we've, we've praised the vo- vocal performances, but the the in-combat shouts, uh, the yelps, the, you know, the grunts and efforts and whatever, um, that again, there's not very many of them. And there's some there's some amusing quips, which actually reminded me of the kind of JRPG style of doing things with the, you know, kind of little... Um, you know, almost uh, Arnie-esque uh, payoff line, but uh, but actually some of the sc- the screams and squeals were, were were a little bit grating and harsh and repetitive, especially if you're wearing a lot of the helmets. They've got this kind of audio effect over them, so everything sounds like this kind of garbled mess of shrieking, which um, which I didn't feel actually aided the combat situation much. I would have rather heard more from the from the weapons and the robots and. Whatever else. You, you know who doesn't scream in combat? My boy Sam. <laughs> Sam. Yeah. Does he? Does he? What does he do? Does he say anything? Does he say uh, clean, cleaning up or? You know? Yeah, he he makes he makes comments like um like yeah like about how he is cleaning the corruption or I don't think he actually uses those words and tells you that your Sam unit is in peak condition. Right. And, right. Yeah. Yeah. yeah also, got to be said, you you have special abilities that you can. Uh, set off of your characters and they give you a little kind of two second clip of them doing something and if you stick with the same characters seeing that two second clip 
Oh, a yeah. whole load of times yeah. can can get a little yeah. great and say, you know, I um, the okay kind of jumping and going ah and firing her a big weapon. I probably saw that. I did not find that I needed to use those much in the normal yeah. difficulty. I can definitely see where they would be way more useful mm. the higher up you go. Um, but yeah, my most most of the time, my my folks did just fine. I, I would use them to soften things. things I can tell you a few hundred <laughs> yeah. times of each will really. <laughs> yeah. True. Yeah, I'm sure. Yeah, they they again they 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 they're a little limited uh sort of in animation terms. I think they're quite yeah, they're quite nicely done, but again as with I suppose the uh the the conversation facial animations like they they're definitely beyond what we had in the in the 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 Oblivion and Fallout 3 days, but that locked off camera with the dialogue options at the bottom of the screen and a face just kind of sitting there waiting for input uh, feels a bit retro now honestly does, yeah. um and not in not in not in a good way necessarily it's not terrible and it's fine and we've been there before and old things aren't bad just because they're old but it actually i think it it it, it all feels a bit mechanical and and like i think um and i know how expensive it is for people like naughty dog to make their cutscenes, and obviously they're they're not you're not using dialogue trees in the same way in a game like that but i feel like um yeah solutions for more realistic looking conversations would be very welcome at this point uh more about the gameplay i mean basically you spend a lot of time walking around in first person and i feel everything about it feels fine certainly in the 60 fps that you can get on the pc or the current gen consoles um although you've got sort of some combat maneuvers you get it gets kind of sideways dash and stuff and and actually i think at its at its uh, at its best moments, the combat for me was, you know, as as solid as something like Borderlands or or uh, something of that ilk. With obviously you've got the time dilation, which is your kind of bullet time, which allows you to take stock and aim at things while they're not kind of wailing on you and stuff like that. And um, yeah, like the accuracy was solid enough. Like it felt that the game was um, allowing you to to me to to use uh some fairly fundamental fps skills it, it, it's not like fallout in that it's all about um you know you're not going to get your xcom style missing something because it's uh because your percentage is is locked off this is actually a an action shooter right um carl i think you said to me that you you found the the combat was um of a, of a sufficient standard yeah, absolutely. For me, it's probably the strongest part of the game. Um, it, it was It's certainly the most surprising element of the game because I did expect it to be a little bit ropey, but whether that's just preconceptions or assumptions of what the studio are going to deliver or the fact that, you know, Far, uh, not Far Cry, Fallout mm-hmm. um, 3, Fallout 4, although Fallout 4 was a big improvement in that regard, mm. have never quite got there. Um, Borderlands did a fairly decent job um, in terms of being pure action um, and I was hoping that this would be somewhat of a blend and it actually was mm-hmm. and I, I feel even more than that it's the whilst there's not a huge range of weapons and none of the weapons particularly feel special whether you want, you want to play heavy guns or assault rifles pistols or melee weapons all of them feel 
sufficient enough standard to play that that can be your play All style viable. and not yeah. be at a detriment. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah, I played a kind of snipery character. Stealth was obviously a big consideration when they started making this. They said that one of the earliest things that they put in was the the hiding grass, which uh, you know is a is a video game cliche at this point. You see it in things like Horizon, obviously, which is a third person game. But the grass in which you will uh, you will remain hidden um, is not something that you always get in a game of this type. But this game has it, and in fact, if you put all your stats into the appropriate areas, you can play this game very stealthily with you know silent takedowns and hacking and stealing and pickpocketing and all that good stuff if you don't want to get into face on firefights i was not a stealthy character <laughs> <laughs> um i mean i played stealth in the i i never really played stealth much in combat because i always felt like a lot of these games actually what that meant is you could you know play stealth for the first half a dozen encounters and then it would just go completely haywire and it was probably not worth the points you actually put into that category in the end the way i used stealth was just to steal things within bases key cards from back of people's yeah. pockets like that stuff mm-hmm made sense and actually kind of in some of the more kind of enclosed interior spaces stealth uh, made sense but so many of the times it would just eventually fail and you'd have to kind of rely back on on the weapons and it was competent right i mean that that sounds like damning with faint praise but actually in a game like this competent first person shooting controls and gameplay is yeah. actually a real highlight um what I will say is, like, Fallout had to rely on something like its VAT systems. I barely ever mm. used a time dilation system here because I, didn't, I actually didn't feel like my shots were missing my down-the-scope yeah. headshots. Like, they were they were hitting. Yeah. Why did I need to, to stop and actually go into that? Even mm. in the higher difficulties, it didn't really feel like, you know, I needed to go there. And, and when I whenever I did use it, unless maybe it's because I didn't specialise particularly deep into that, it ran out you know, relatively fast. And it was like, eh, that's fine. I could have just, you know, changed my weapon setup. You know, I, I went down quite a heavy plasma weapon. So people would just kind of disappear into ash, which was fun. Um, I yeah. also used a bunch of the science weapons. There was a few there. I was going to ask that you can, I was going to ask about yeah. that. So there, there's a shrink ray yeah. and, uh, uh, what else? A mind control ray. So I had all these in my, in my inventory, but I never invested in using them. I stuck with shooting things that, boringly. But, yeah. Uh, because I, in my, in my um, opinion, uh, it they just they were they always seemed to be a lot lower damage than That's the weapons it. that I already yes. had. Yeah. Um, and I mean, I guess you could beef them up by that there's a tinkering them, yeah. system. Yeah. There's I, a lot of tinkering. I think yeah. the only one that I actually ended up using was I gave Parvati the hammer for a while. Yes. Um, yes, the hammer. But other than that, I just I didn't mess with them. I thought it was just me. I thought I was doing something wrong because my science, I thought, oh, it must be tied in with your science levels. And my science levels were high. Mm. And it was it was like... Some of that's a perk that if you pick one of the perks, you get 50% plus damage with science weapons. So if you went down that route... Right. Like, I assumed it was... The idea was that they didn't do much damage, but they opened... So if you shrunk something, Duke Nukem yeah. style, effectively, like even if you don't hurt it that much, you have then made it incredibly weak. There, Stuff there like that, I guess. There was one that I used that essentially would hit somebody and then it would spray out damage across multiple people in one area like a purple cloud Ooh. damage and you could <laughs> essentially I'm, I probably spent the best part of 30,000 credits on that gun just keep leveling it along with my my um my own character level and you know that thing was incredibly powerful towards the back end of the game and it, it needed to be but th- this one of my issues with this game is 
it fell on that way too much loot everywhere everywhere you went there was loot you know and it comes to that point where you i can't help but in a game like this go in and go into every single box yeah. looking at every single thing i had so much stuff to the point where you know mm. i i was maxed out i had all the weight capacity my companion weight capacity just carrying so many guns to the point encumbrance and is i would a just thing, look at it and going, none of this means anything i just get rid of like just sell all of it and just focus on one or two really it just there was oh. such an overabundance like nothing felt special at all other than the, the science weapons i'd keep because it's like okay well they're one-off weapons mm. but so many weapons i'd just go well what do i need do i need to keep my party updated a bit yeah fine i just found myself just like eh, fine move on like there's a lot of stuff to break down yeah. into into parts for repairs and a certain amount of stuff to sell because cash is quite an important resource in this game, I would say. So, uh, yeah, I mean, I, I didn't think there was any more of an excess of loot in this game than than in others of its type. But you could, yeah, it, I think maybe it's one of those things that I don't even question now with a game like this. I do get the compulsion to hoover <laughs> up loot and ha- hack yep. every box. And there's a nice satisfying little noise when you rattle open a container. And it, there's obviously a certain amount of endorphin um pan- pandering going on here but but yeah it works for me to for at least for the length of the game it, you know when it when it comes to guns i think after about 10 hours of playing i did finally find a unique gun mm. um in the world and there are some there that are hidden in the world i had like a great one that did corrosive mm. damage for example yeah. that was an assault rifle that was really useful mm-hmm. that was like a unique one off and they do have unique looks which is how you yes. know that, that that they are that way um but for a long time, I felt frustrated because it felt like I was continually getting the same thing over and over again, you know, yeah. light assault rifle, light assault rifle, no matter, you know, and it becomes frustrating because one of the things that I always felt that Fallout 3 did was it gave you just enough unique items, whether it was looking for mm-hmm. a, just a bobblehead collectible mm-hmm. or whether it was finding kind of a unique weapon or a rare resource, you know, it felt like you were being rewarded for looking in every corner and it made you want to explore every single corner of the map. And, you know, after you've picked up kind of your 200th light assault rifle Mm. or pistol, you start feeling like, I feel like I need to stop doing this well, because I'm not I getting think, anything from it. And all I'm doing is stripping I them. I think for, some for of that is because the actual enemies you face, there's a lot of kind of marauders that sh- you know, just run out of you. There's one or two kind of creatures in the world which mm. are a little bit more dangerous. But, you know, I think back to something like Fallout, you know, you, you'd come across the world and, and see a beast in the background and you think, where's my mini nuke? Because I can't take this down with just my individual, you know, just my weapon set. I need something ridiculous. And there was you never really mm. came up against anything that was particularly like oh god so yeah like so, so, so like you'd find one, there were these sort of primal yeah uh, I mean, they, prime they got hard shells and if but you know equally yeah if you knew what you're doing you could kind of break you use combination you could break those down but I just like Carl was saying though you know I'd search around for that because you'd be looking for the those weapons which you'd you'd absolutely need to get past an encounter yeah. and the, weirdly there's that ridiculous massive spike at the end if you if you don't have the right weapons you can actually yeah. really hit a brick wall at the very end of the game having i yeah i did oh, yeah, that for I a while did. i have to have to admit um i played it i played it again and short, talk my way yeah. through out that situation which is far easier but that end mm. that end one i could see some people just hitting a brick wall if you're not spec for actually taking down mechanicals 
I did a lot of running around that arena. Yeah. Um, but yes, it also throws all these ads at you, doesn't it? Which are also yeah. robots. Um, yeah, wasn't wasn't the funnest uh, end boss, but uh, I always felt like I could do it. It just felt like I had to game it a bit. Mm. And uh, yeah, the other uh, other aspect of stealth I wanted to mention was, uh, and I, again, I think this maybe this item is optional, but it's you get it through a quest, which is the uh, what's it called, like holo- adaptive holographic yeah. stealth. I think, that, I think that's camo. part of the storyline. Right. Yeah, I think so. You don't have to, it's the um the like cartridges or the 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 individual yeah. uh, I don't even Segments. know what they're called, yeah. but the the unique IDs. Yeah, the, yeah, there you mm. go. Um that that allow you to get into the different parts uh, of the I thought it was a fun idea. Um yeah. so it it kind of puts you in a not in a stealth situation, but in a situation where yeah, you you've effectively you you've dressed up in in the uniform of, of the area and uh and it's not even as simple as uh it's not even a time limit as such it's based on your movement as to how quickly it erodes and even once once it runs out when you get caught if your conversational skills are high enough you can schmooze your way out of these situations and um i had fun with that because i wasn't playing much of the game as a sneaky character but it just put me in that mindset in those areas and felt like in the same way as ending up in a big old firefight in Byzantium at the end felt like a, a cinematic, some kind of cinematic mm. set piece, sneaking around enemy areas without taking everyone down in the first instance, first opportunity, just uh, added a nice little wrinkle for me. I, I did kind of wonder how they, how Sam was supposed <laughs> to look to that. Because, I mean, yeah. it shows you that, you know, your, your party members are also camouflaged. <laughs> <but> <laughs> Sam, yeah. You can't really do that with him. Yeah. Something like that was a really accessible way to introduce stealth to non-stealth yeah. players. You know, I, I know that people like me and James Carter, for example, are absolute, you know, sods in games for when it comes to being stealthy of going to the nth degree to be able to complete something Never spotted in a method ghost, of stealth. Yeah, yeah and, and doing these ghost runs can be really frustrating, oh, yeah. as it can be in in the Outer Worlds. And the Outer Worlds is absolutely not the guiltiest game for not having a bad stealth system. In fact, a lot of it is very good, um, certainly for within that genre. But to actually introduce something like this where you may have to do a little bit of stealth to break in to be able to find the cartridge that will give you the ID, but then the, the concept that you can kind of brazenly walk into an area, scope it out, maybe wait for people to walk past you so that you know you can get a clean run to a door. Mm. Um, and I, I remember there's, there's one run uh, where you, you need to get into a lab um, specifically uh, to go, I think, to go and get some gas canisters of yeah. some kind. Yeah. Uh, and that one does involve the need to sort of sprint to the next door so you can kind of reset it, which I thought was a really, really interesting way of doing... Um, what like aggressive stealth almost, uh, which I really appreciated mm. because that was that was kind of outside of the <laughs> box or certainly outside of the standard for for the world. It's, it was one of the things that it did that did feel really interesting to me. I think the sort of dungeon areas, such as they are, which are, tend to be sort of facilities and the odd or the odd more organic area, but generally they're uh, human built. Uh, structures um i thought the the design again they're generally not overly large this is not a game that thrives on that kind of scale but uh but actually they they had you know they had some nice little loops and the, the kind of uh you know unlock the barred door to get the shortcut back to where you were before and all that kind of stuff stuff built yeah. over 
multiple layers and um yeah I, I, again like i was uh, i was although i was seldom overwhelmed and overjoyed by this game i was i was seldom bored interestingly the developers made a deliberate decision not to create mini games for hacking and lockpicking since such mini games have proven divisive in other rpgs found that on tv tropes uh yeah it's true you just hold down a button if your stats or and your equipment uh, are there would anyone yeah. have preferred uh, pipe mania or uh, or wiggling analog sticks around i mean <laughs> genuinely no, no not, really. not really i saw <laughs> we've done it all right uh, uh, really uh, so i i'm the outlier here you do you do uh, like so it, I don't, a puzzle I, game the pipe game i was never that f- fond of because i don't understand i never understood what that had to do with unlocking something in, in don't, bioshock don't think about it when it <laughs> when it comes to the lockpick system, um, I mean, it could be any mini game, be... right? I'm I'm just being well, facetious it, it with could those be. examples. I think the but... the lockpicks are really good example because we're, we are picking quite a lot of locks in this game, and I feel like the concept of hiding stuff, especially considering lockpicking lives in a skill tree, the idea of things being hidden behind a lock that needs picking might make those items feel more valuable in terms of your journey or more unique in doing it as mm-hmm. opposed to just but it's already there right to unlock it and it just feels like i might as well have just opened the box at that point like why you've put got it, a skill check so you know the lock will be like you need to be 90 in hacking to undo this lock you don't have 90 in hacking you can't undo this lock but this is where the actual skill check comes in because if you get involved in the game you can go okay well i can actually have a setup on my character or even you know, take companions with me with a you know higher ability to actually interact with these things. So you can find yourself, you know, as a character with a, maybe a fifty lot picking skill, but then change your clothes up, put a fancy hat on, a set of glasses, and suddenly your character's got the required lot picking skill. Yeah, and it's just a skill yeah. check. I can't do it yet. I'll shoot thirty people in the head, and then I'll be able to unlock I something. Yeah, you know, right. I having played. Um, so another one recently was Dying Light Two. I played where you, you do lock picking and that, and you have to do the two joysticks move them around have you got the vibration and it's like after your 50th one you've done it's like yeah that's a a thing honestly by the time i'd done this i'd picked so i'd gone through so many chests it was just like i'm glad i don't have that (laughs) there good i um had i my the armor that i was wearing for most of the game uh until i got the like really crazy chimera armor right towards the end um i it had like a penalty to my um to one of my stats it was i think it was hacking it was either hacking or lock picking uh that might have been both but i it had a penalty to those and i was kind of like right mm. on the cusp of some things so basically whenever <laughs> i would need to do one of these things i would have to just take off my armor so here's me <laughs> with a helmet and like a bodysuit or whatever picking a lock like yeah. it was, was kind of silly but and we haven't talked about the skill check system but it, it's rife throughout this game mm. it is you know it's quite a big yeah, part yeah. of this game Okay. Well, no. But, I mean, so, <laughs> do you want to say anything no, more? I, about no, it? I, I do because really, I think this is where its RPG, RPG ness yeah. really comes from. You know, it's it it has this um, like most games, you can pick if you're going to be strong in you know, in dialogue or strong in in guns, and and that stuff is there. I mean, ultimately, you can put points into you know, skills like melee if you wish. I had no interest in doing melee, melee so I didn't, and I put mm. those skills into. Um, say for long long range weapons etc but what it does which i thought was quite interesting is you can put a base amount of points into those things and of course it it makes your guns stronger but in those scenarios it might also you know increase 
a different aspect in that. So, um, for instance, if you put a ton of points into persuade, yes, your persuade skill will be higher and you can persuade people, but it also it will make people terrified of you, as in when you're on the combat uh, and you're on the battlefield. So they have different reactions yeah. to that. So it's not just a straight laced, it does this one thing, it also does something else. Um, which I think was, you know, interesting. But, uh, you know, personally, I went with a character that was quite long range weapons, um, could pick every lock, could hack every safe, um, could yeah. charm his way out of every situation. Like I, I went quite quite heavily down there. And actually, very similar to, to my yeah, well, spec. I'm not sure why. One I mean, of the reasons. Sounds like we've. Gone down well, one of the reasons parts. I had Pavati and uh, Nakota is that they also had that those aspects of their characters were very good at those things as well. So it meant that I didn't have to necessarily spend points into that area because I, you know they already brought that mm. as a crew. And and also it has this interested but quite flawed flawed system, mind a pun, um, which mm. is if you say for instance if you jump off high ledges a lot. Yeah. If you land on the ground, if you do it enough times, the game will go, do you know what? You're not very good at jumping off high ledges. So if you want, yeah. you could take this this floor of getting, say, 25% more damage for falling off high ledges, but you also get something towards a perk. And one, one of the, yeah. you know, there's probably like 30, 40. I took I none saw of that, these. Yeah. I accepted <laughs> none. But I know that. I took a couple. Okay. That's but... interesting. Because I know you have to take them on supernova mode. You don't get the choice. Um, so I mean, there's a ton of perks. So that they they basically start from I don't know being 25% faster walk speed if you so wish to go down that way, or 50% towards science damage, or you know your carry capacity could be 50 kilograms more. And I took four, and I accidentally took a perk, and then just went, carried on without realizing uh -huh. that basically lowered my stats for like five percent, <laughs> and. The only way I could actually get rid of this this issue would by basically taking more adrenaline. So that would get rid of this negative nature of this perk. And it was an interesting way of like, okay, well, I've got an extra extra thing, an extra perk point to spend on something, for instance, I don't know, more base armor for my characters. But actually the handicap is way more handicappy than the actual perk that I probably picked through getting this extra thing. So I just don't think it was it was an interesting system, but I think like the negatives that you got from that system probably outweighed the positives from picking the more positive perks. Because by the time you get to the end of the game, you've you know I certainly by the time I'd done the DLC, I pretty much had the entirety of that perk system leveled out. So I didn't really need to take any flaws in the first place. But it feels like many aspects of this game's. There was an idea, there was a genesis of an idea that is an interesting idea, but it wasn't quite mm, yeah. fleshed out in yeah. the way that it probably could have been absolutely brilliant. Like maybe if you took a, a negative perk, you got to pick out of a list of really interesting plus point perks, you know, for something like, mm. you know, 100% critical hit damage, but you also took 100% critical hit damage or something like that would have been an interesting way of messing around with the system. That's a very... Um tabletop mm. rpg type of thing um I, I just definitely in some systems that i've played in it's you can take specific types of perks for or specific types of disadvantages from a list that will then allow you to have you know extra points to spend in in good advantage uh skills or traits um and i, I think a lot of this game feels like that it it it, it does feel 
kind of old school RPG in yeah, a way. For sure. And whether that's a good thing or a bad thing for you personally mm. will be a personal thing. But to me, yeah, it, it definitely did feel that way in a lot of in a lot of ways. Yeah, you can tell the which lead considering designers. its lineage, yeah, I yeah, mean, is is not really middle aged middle aged men, um, <laughs> basically, yeah. Uh, and and they also talk in 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 those no clip videos about um, you know that obviously they they are uh, they are aware that different players want different kinds of experience and as such uh, if you do want the 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 real hard rock climb to the peak um, rather than the you know uh, the rather more smooth journey that you'll get if you play on easy and use all the modern kind of uh features and and uh, conveniences that have been layered into video games um you can play supernova mode now i think tony's probably the only one who's who touched this of us but i'm i'm genuinely fascinated by this because i am always aware obviously when we complete games for the show so much for, of my life um certainly my gaming life my cane and rinse life is about completing games to a point um and i love that I love that I get to experience so many different types of games and so many different experiences and atmospheres and moods and aesthetics and all that. And, and that is my, my ultimate pleasure with, with video games. And, and that's why Kane and Rince is, is how it is. But I am also aware that sometimes with a game like the outer worlds, there's probably a more engaging experience to be had if I were to have the time and the gumption to play this game in this more demanding but potentially engaging way. So Supernova uh, is, according to a website called Respawn First, where the game comes to life. Uh, so enemies will have the largest pools of HP. OK, that doesn't sound so interesting to me. And they will hit harder. Now, this next line is the thing that fascinated me. And I know that, Tony, you had this same thing. Why is there all this food in my inventory? You've got all these. Uh, <laughs> you, you can you can heal. Right. And there's various medicines and things in the game which you put into this breather, which I think is a really nice touch. You can open up slots on your breather to add more different types of perk to what mm. you're consuming every time you take damage. That's cool in itself. However, you will find even if you play on normal difficulty or whatever or easy. Your inventory is full of edible items and drinks. And you think, why? What am I going to do with these? Also, there's all these camps everywhere and rooms with beds in that you can lie on. And you think, why would I do that? The answer is all in supernova mode. So, Tony, tell us, tell us about what goes on in supernova. And do you feel it's actually the ultimate way to play the it outer was world. the weirdest thing i put whatever 30 hours into this game played it on hard and just got to the end of it and was like i just didn't use half this stuff in my inventory like yeah what what was the point this that was part of my like collect everything and and just find myself like well what i, didn't, I probably didn't i ate towards the back end of the game i was like i'm not even picking up any of these wine bottles or anything what there is absolutely no point to that so i've not used one yeah. in the entirety of the, the game here so what is the point you find yourself mm. suddenly going in supernova and walk out into the world and it's like, yeah, no, you, you've got, I, first thing you notice is you've got a bunch of bars on the, on the left hand of the screen. You, I've never noticed before. I was like, what is that? And, and it's literally hunger and fatigue as you, as you progress around the environment and it like, there's a cripple status. You start, you know, 
weapons start hitting you and start crippling your body. There's medicines that you need to take to uncrip. I mean, this this sounds more Fallout S to me in in my headspace. Yeah. Um, Iron Man mode survival I'm game. Not a kind huge of huge survival game, but like I I adored it in um, Metro exodus i thought that was really like there's a range of mode oh, yeah. in that, that i really got because i love the world and it played more in the environment yeah but i i found it mm-hmm. just i here i found it more interesting that it answered the questions of what all this stuff was in the world that made no sense mm-hmm. through my original playthrough um i thought it was fine um i didn't spend huge amounts of time in supernova because it was you know i just wanted to kind of rush through it and get to the end and there was a lot of things that i enjoyed more about my supernova playthrough which was just stealing yeah. people's key cards shooting people in the face as fast as possible because i didn't want to do quest lines um but in between doing that um having to go to sleep on the ship and the only place you could fast travel was back to yeah. the ship and then having to walk through environments um it's the only place you can save yeah, as well, so right? It's it completely changed the game up. I don't think it's yeah. you know if I was to say you need to have that experience, I don't think it's for everybody. I, I honestly, I would say no, maybe no. bump the difficulty up a little bit higher because mm-hmm. then the combat makes a little bit more sense. But I I found the yeah. supernova difficulty yeah. just more of a, an interesting yo you've done everything. Okay. But. I wish they maybe had telegraphed a bit more to the player about when <laughs> through the main game, why you had all this stuff and what it was actually for, because they, they don't really say like, you know, why would I want to sleep? <laughs> Does it make any sense to sleep in the main game? Like literally none no, other no. than in no. Supernova. Do you need that to, to get rid of cripple status and to get rid of yeah. fatigue? So Rest and yeah, interesting, yeah. but not essential. Okay. I wouldn't say. And also uh, the DLC. So first was, September 2020, Peril on Gorgon. Sometimes when we've talked about DLC on the show, uh, it's not a, a mandatory thing. I haven't played it. Uh, I did look at it. Um, I I mean, it sounds like it adds quite a lot of time onto the game because of content. Sometimes we find that uh, DLC is uh, handed off to a slightly, you know, a sub team or whatever. And the quality can vary based on that. Sometimes for the good, sometimes not. And also sometimes DLC has the sense that, um, you know, outside of the rush of getting the game finished, it can be a bit more uh, coherent and complete and polished. Um, did you, you know, there can be new assets or it can be all reused assets. What do we, what did we get with first? Just talk about Peril on Gorgon. Well, Peril on Gorgon and the DLC in, in its entirety actually raised the level cap up a bit. Um, it also yep. changed the way the perk system worked a little bit. So they went up all the way up to 150 Ooh. rather than 100 and gave a few right. more kind of specialized, if you were really want to dump perks. So that was a change to the original game, which would actually play into the normal gameplay if you just own the DLC, which is good. Um, Peron Gorgon, I think, is probably the best piece of content in the entirety of the Outer Worlds, okay. which is weird to say, right? But... It's both both pieces of DLCs are about six hours long. Um, so there's oh, okay. That's not as long as I'd heard actually, but obviously it will depend. Yeah, based so, on but your that's a big like level. that's a big chunk. I mean that it's yeah, it's quarter again yeah, so or something. That's a good of ch- the main game. But I think what they they learn they learn some of the criticisms, which is maybe the the game is a yeah. little bit <laughs> light on its feet. Um, and actually, Peril and Golden deals with a, a situation which is. I don't know if I should probably... I suppose we're in spoiler territory, although you guys haven't played I, it. 
I did actually forget to issue a spoiler yeah. warning. Um, apologies. Uh, Essentially, the corporation itself was trying to come up with a drug um, to make the workers work longer and need less sleep and re, you know, reset time. And it's like an adrenaline booster. And is it is it Beth Jezos or something like that in charge <laughs> of quite, the uh, this faction? Adrenaline. Um, and it went incredibly wrong and they knew it went incredibly wrong, but they decided to release it anyway, because some of the positives was it was positive. But some of the negatives were if it went wrong in in certain people, they turned into the marauders, which is the people that you essentially fight yep. throughout the rest of the game. And it had a really interesting central point of about, you know, at what the corporation will do to just get a little bit more out of the people. But it does it really matter if a few people turn bad. And it gets quite dark when you actually start going around the, the laboratories, etc. I had Pavati and the team and she starts to actually freak out in the party. Like, I don't want to be here. This is not a good place. Like, and you really mm. feel like you wanted to, to, to get out that place. And, and it, it, it's set in a kind of visually it's set really, it's kind of like an asteroid and it, it works really well. And there is a kind of mystery you have to go around and you go off planet a couple of times back into the main game and a few new areas that you've been before, but new locations open up. It's really well put together and it's got some great weapons and armor and it really fleshes out the main base game. And so for, for me, kind of now when I think about the Outer Worlds, that's the piece of content I probably think of the most, which is right. which is both as a positive and, I guess, a negative. Um, interesting, the DLC came out once... Um, Obsidian had been brought by Microsoft at this time, so they still had contractual agreements with. Um, yeah, apparently the, the the sale was going through throughout the last year of development, but it, uh, according to those involved, obviously you know they may or may not say everything that happened, but they seem to the the implication seems to be that it didn't really affect too much about the development. Yeah. Um, Murder on was Eridus. Eridanos, um, is basically you become a cop. And you have to solve a murder of a celebrity on a planet. And that takes mm. you to four or five different suspects. And you have to interview them and get the general gist of the lay of the land and whether they had motive or not to, to kill the person. Um, I won't spoil that one because that the whole the mm. whole point of that piece of deal is murder, is murder mystery. And I won't tell you how yeah. it ends. But I found it less compelling. It has a new element where you've got a gun that essentially scans the environment and shows footprints and different things that you know could or couldn't happen and you piece together the the mystery i found it in yeah Detective i found mode. it interesting but out the two if you if you were only to buy one and not the pack i think peril gorgon is the one to go for and murder of Endress is okay so I reckon um, most people would go for none or both well no, i can i can tell you <laughs> but, that the achievements yeah on those games are like at 0.4%. <laughs> so, uh, you know, that, okay. I mean, yes, they're game pass and, and whatnot, but that tells you, you know, the amount of people that probably went on to buy the DLC was yeah. very small, which is a real shame because actually I think the DLC is really strong. Mm. Yeah. Often, often the way I think I announced them in the wrong, wrong order. I think murder on Eridanos was first, right. And then Peril sure. of Gorgon came six. I think that it was March 2020 for Murder on Eridanos and September okay, for Peril well. Gorgon, which which if that was the the coup de grace, the you know that that makes sense if uh, you know they'd had another um, six months to to work on 
work on stuff, it, it and might make sense. I guess the one of the positives, key. because the world's already kind of cut up in chunks and each planet's a, a separate chunk, actually playing playing this yes. content yeah. just fills out the map a little bit more. Um, and yeah. it makes sense. It doesn't feel like it's an add-on. It just feels like it's part of the game that you never went to. Yes. We should say there's a, there's a cutoff point in the game, which and there's no chance you could miss it. It's not like the old days where you could <laughs> find yourself either completing a game way earlier than you wanted to or or missing the fact that you couldn't save your way back. There's a very distinct you. point yeah. in the story <laughs> where it says, you're going to save now. And then if you want to play the DLC, you're going to have to reload. Yeah, and I think save. actually the DLC is level gated. I think it's like around 20 something. Um, and it, okay. I can tell you that because the certainly in Perigo and the enemies in there are tough. Mm. <laughs> Not so much in Murder on Errors. Um, that's yeah. kind of just solved the mystery. But yeah, Gorgon's a, a tough piece of content. Was they they really ramped up the the uh, the enemy level on that. Now there is a point in the main game, the non DLC, isn't there? Quite early on, where one of the missions will take you to a place that you're probably not ready for, and it again, it very much signposts that, like the ship's actually saying, "Are you sh- are you sure you want to get out here? It might not be a very good idea, but actually, you can, especially on the the easier normal difficulties. I, I believe you can fight firefight your way through it, or whatever well, your choice. I haven't run through this game a few times now. Mm. You can actually just run through most encounters. If if you right, wanted to, right. uh, even on the harder difficulties, you can just run from door to door, avoid all combat. So many games yeah. are like that when you it's when you actually funny, yeah. When you when you try it, yeah. I mean, speed run speed running has proved this over the years that there's a lot of games where normal play will get you very bogged down and very mm-hmm. challenged by swamps of enemy ai but actually the game doesn't really cope with with you just going ah and, and i had to say the ai, on, AI in this isn't the greatest it's it's very much uh, a no aim and shoot at you ai it's pretty basic um, yeah. yeah occasionally they'll flank you or cut but generally they make a beeline uh i mean there's really like i know there are some variety within these but there are three enemy types aren't there? monster yep. man and robot <laughs> yeah <laughs> Um, another limitation, I guess. Ashman86 from our forum says, in the lead up to the launch of The Outer Worlds, I was as guilty as anyone for expecting it to be a spiritual successor to Fallout 2 and or New Vegas. In some ways, I think it lives up to that, but The Outer Worlds scope is significantly narrower. Obsidian is one of my favourite studios out there now, and I've played nearly everything they've launched since the late Black Isle days. I learned long ago to expect an Obsidian game to be a diamond in the rough. They're true gems, but you usually have to wipe away some dirt and accept the rougher edges before you see how bright they shine. The Pillars of Eternity games, which launched in the years between New Vegas and Outer Worlds, were largely a departure from that norm, however. They were rich and polished, and Pillars of Eternity 2 Deadfire is, in my opinion, one of the finest CRPGs ever made, and an all-time favourite of mine. So my hype for Outer Worlds was turned up past 11 when it finally came out. The end result is a game that I think is maybe two thirds of the way to being a masterpiece. First couple of acts offer some really interesting player choices and introduce you to wonderful characters and planets to explore. You're constantly finding new weapons and building your character in compelling ways. And the narrative immerses you in a fascinating world that echoes some of Fallout's anti-capitalistic narcissism, even if it rarely finds a voice of its own. I even like the smaller, more classic structure of the game, which felt more like a Knights of the Old Republic or Mass Effect than it did a sprawling Bethesda RPG, for good and bad. But, in the end, I think 
Outer Worlds fails to stick the landing. The final act is pretty forgettable, the last big location you visit is underwhelming, and loot quickly devolves into literal incremental improvements on your existing gear. Worse than any of that though, the game runs out of interesting narrative choices to offer its players, and whatever message you think the Outer Worlds may have had to offer about the nature of capitalism and post-capitalism simply never materialises into anything noteworthy. The Outer Worlds ultimately feels like it wants to say something meaningful, but doesn't have the guts to do so. A solid RPG and a fun space opera that's easy to get lost in for a few dozen hours, but after that, the market leaves on the player rubs off surprisingly quickly. Anything from Ashman's comments there that, that rings true? I think we sort of hinted earlier about the the kind of the the, the run towards the end of the game being perhaps a little underwhelming. Did everyone find that, or is that not? The no, case? I, I agree with that. I, I it's I, it just feels like well, we need it. We need a final dungeon. Mm. So here you go. Yeah, I think we'll probably we'll we'll touch on that in our probably some <laughs> summaries at the end. So. Okay. Uh, there is an The Outer Worlds 2 on the way. Uh, there was a At trailer. Worlds. What did I say? You said Worlds. <laughs> did I? Yay. <laughs> uh, my brain didn't even acknowledge. Everyone gets one. <laughs> I was actually reading it as well. So, uh, The Outer Worlds 2, the official reveal trailer from E3 2021, is a very uh, knowing, meta, tongue-in-cheek sort of satire of trailers. Um, and I thought actually quite amusing. I hadn't watched it until today. Um, but uh, yeah, it's essentially it says this is a trailer. This is how trailers work. This is a trailer for this game and we haven't made it yet. So, <laughs> which, some, uh, you know, I, I appreciate because that is that is how that is exactly how I feel about all some FNV that isn't so, representative of the final game, but looks good. Doesn't it look good? Yeah, <laughs> yeah that kind of thing. Uh, so. Yeah, we shall see. Um, it sounds like that uh, Xbox and Bethesda are happy enough with the series for it to continue. And um, yeah, hopefully Microsoft money will enable them to maybe make it an even, uh, you know, uh, something that actually feels like it embraces the scope that the first one perhaps wanted to. But I think the, the gaming industry is littered with first attempts at games that don't quite stick the landing. I mean, Outer Worlds 2 falls in, in that category. And we've seen time and time again, if they're given the second chance and the budget to kind of just tighten a few of those areas and make stuff a little bit more... I, I feel like the DLC, you know, towards the, what was in the DLC, then, yeah, I think, you know, the Outer Worlds 2 can be really interesting. And, you know, I don't think it's that far away, isn't it? Next year or the year after. So, right. Game Pass Day yes, 1. Exactly, yeah. <laughs> for, for subscribers. <laughs> so, uh yeah, I guess maybe someday, if we're all still here, maybe we'll cover it on the Cane and Rinse podcast. We also have some three-word reviews. Follow us on Twitter, for now at least. <laughs> Wink, <laughs> winks at camera. Um, we don't have cameras. Let's start with Carl and Scott. Scott Lamont says, not quite ready. Weedo says, not outer wilds. <laughs> Correct. Akiratron <laughs> says... Succinct bite-sized Fallout. Deadbeat Punk. Fallout in space. Tolkien Taters. No New Vegas. Joseph Raphael says seemingly accurate futurism. And the real Doc Funky absolutely loved it. Isn't that nice? Hmm. So let's summarise. 
I'll go first. Um, I think, uh, I, yeah, I, 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 I was uh, chatting to a friend yesterday out on a walk and uh, he politely asked, you know, what are you doing this weekend? Are you doing a podcast? I said, yeah. He said, what game are you doing? I said, The Outer Worlds. He said, what was it like? I said, eh, it's all right. <laughs> <laughs> and he said, it's going to be a short podcast. Never is. <laughs> uh, of course, it never is. Uh, but yes, um, I saw one, I think it was a video piece on this game that described the game as aggressively average. And I find that quite insulting um, to a game and to the people who make it. It almost feels worse than if the game had been a failure in my eyes and we'd spent two hours tearing it apart. Like the fact that all these, you know, 75 people spent uh, several years <laughs> writing, making this game and then watching uh, uh, watching those five no-clip video documentaries and, you know, taking a liking to all the people involved and having spent time with the characters and certainly liking some of them, if not all of them. I can't even, I've forgotten one of their names even, yeah. uh, Felix, is it? <laughs> yeah, yeah, like, <laughs> uh, I, yeah, had no interest <laughs> in him whatsoever. Um, but uh, I feel like everything in this game was like in that, yeah, uh, good but not great kind of, area so i think aggressively average is 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 definitely harsh i think there's a lot about this game that was uh i enjoyed you know it, it was never a game that i struggled to come back to it wasn't one you know sometimes we cover a game on this show because it's a game that i've heard interesting things about and i wanted to play and then we start to play it and it's like i'm not actually sure that i really like <laughs> yeah. this that much uh but this wasn't one of those i was perfectly happy every time it was time to stick it on and, and play through i found the the fundamental mechanics, all very compelling. I was moderately interested in the story. And uh, and I, I think, that, as I say, I think the thing that impressed me most was the, the ro robustness of the, the quests and the branching pathing stories and, uh, and the fact that in the end it does all tie together and you get this uh, kind of lengthy breakdown of everything that's happened and why uh, and your input therein so yeah mechanically solid technically certainly playing it on on an xbox series x or presumably a pc uh it's uh it's a it's a good experience in that regard whereas yeah i couldn't vouch for playing it on uh on an xbox one uh with with the loading times and frame rate issues and whatever else but um yeah it was it was just a perfectly fine time maybe not the most memorable game i've ever played but far far from the least likable it, it's very hard to to disagree with anything that you've said there i think the outer world is it's 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 a painter that's not willing to mix black in with its colors it needs to be more bold in its convictions of its decision making uh it all feels safe is probably the best way i can do it and all the best stuff that the game does is the stuff that you don't really see as you've already mentioned there leon the kind of the things that happen with the branching and the decision making that all happen you know under the hood of the game is really really impressive when you look on it and and you 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 strip it back to your decisions and the conversations that i had through them i think the implications that come out at the end could have been like like really bold decisions to just cut the user off from huge chunks of the game um, and and savagely changed the story. I would have really liked that. Uh, I'd have liked more um, 
from the companion system in terms of actually having them feel like companions, not just someone that's there on the battlefield to give a few grunts here and there. That that fell a little bit flat, and you know I compare it to the the the, the sort of the space operas around it um, in Mass Effect or even the the more recently released Guardians of the Galaxy game, and I just feel like they both do that whole space opera thing a lot better than the Outer Worlds even came near to, and it it, it feels like it could be that it could really push that. So whilst I feel like the Outer Worlds definitely didn't blow me away it was not bad at any single thing that it did it just also didn't really excel in anything that it really did um and that's not necessarily a bad thing i don't i I, you know kind of as you said i I think i've even used the term offensively (laughs) average about games in the past Uh, this is not that it's it's very very serviceable very enjoyable but it could be better. I do have a lot of hope for the sequel, though. So actually seeing the sequel announced and looking back at that trailer actually excites mm. me quite considerably based on this as their foundations. I just really want them to have the conviction to really drive home, you know, what is slapstick stupid, what is uh, real dark in terms of the story and not just be all shades of grey, just really, really be bold with uh, the decisions that are made through that game and i think that the sequel could be really really good cool let's hope so leah how about you i don't think that this game breaks any particular new ground which is you know something that i i think has come through in both of the summaries before mine but uh it's it's not um something that stands out in that particular way but i do really like the writing i i like that there are a lot of different ways that you can go with uh with the characters that you take with you with the combinations uh, that is something i generally there are a couple of characters in a game like this that i'm just never going to never gonna touch you know that i just kind of throw into Mm. the ship and say okay you're here now but just be be quiet and go up to your room um and and i didn't feel like that here even felix who uh seems like who it seems like got a little bit of hate from (laughs) from some people i thought he was all right like i i didn't he might not have been my favorite character to to hang out with but he had some interesting stuff in there uh and you know there's there's a lot there's a lot to be said for the fact that they all had individual storylines that made me feel like I wanted to see where they were going. Um, so while I did not think that any of the characters or any of the plot beats necessarily were just slap you in the face awesome, I, I did find myself wanting to kind of keep going with it and to check off the the side quests and to just see where the story went um yeah i didn't it it wasn't like something that's gonna stick with me for the rest of my life necessarily but i am very interested to see what the sequel does and um and how how um obsidian continues onward from here uh so yeah do recommend especially if you have game pass then it's kind of a no-brainer in my opinion um and yeah, just play along, see where it goes, and uh, and hang out with Sam, who's cool. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you. And let's uh, round off with the man who 
brought this game to us this year. Tony. Ultimately, I'm glad that I picked it and got to see and play it and cleared it off the backlog. I think the difficulty with something like this, with a new IP, you expect it to excel at one thing, you know, to make it different, a, a differential. And I, th- I think they, Obsidian, decided that the differential would be to make it kind of as close to kind of the Firefly comedy as as much as possible. And I and I don't think there's that many games out there that that go down that path. So I think it was probably a, a good path to follow, but they don't quite put it off. I think it it's, it doesn't need to be as dark as the, the humor of something like fallout, because I think that's a very different time period and game, but it, it also doesn't have the chops or something like a grand theft auto. Now, fair enough. No, not many games do, mm-hmm. but that's what I feel like it was aiming for with its commentary on capitalism. And it, it, it just never deals the killer blow and the game just fizzles out with its story towards the end. And that's not to say they didn't like parts of the game. I, you know, honestly, if they just renamed this game the Pavati Simulator, where I go around as Pavati as my, my companion the entire time, and I have the Firefly um, twang playing in the background, that was enough for me to give this a really <laughs> a thumbs up and an enjoyment. But it, feel, it felt like a, a game that stuck close to many rules that we've seen in the past. And does need a sequel to actually make the the outer worlds, which they wish to probably make. Um, and I'll be fascinated to see what that turns out, because I just don't think it went far enough in any one direction. Um, and that just makes it aggressively average. Like I, I do no, but I do <laughs> understand that comment. And I don't as much as it's a really harsh comment. I think if you, you know, we've talked, all of us talked about it's a game of missed opportunities. And it's a game that does many things perfectly well, but doesn't really perfect any. And that doesn't make it a bad game. I, some of my all-time favorite games are games which are, you know, I'll say 7 out of 10, which, you know, don't excel in any one particular thing, but have a feeling about them that just elevates them, you know, for the lack of gameplay, elevates it to something really special. And The Outer World just never, never quite gets there. It never quite has that special something. Now, grant you, I did play this after the after playing Elder Ring, which, you know, if you're going to look at flaws of a game, you know, it, it's very easy. But it, I, it's, maybe it was the right game actually to play after that because it was a lot more kind of lighthearted and on its feet and it was a kind of nice palate cleanser. But aggressively average is harsh. But it, yeah, for me, it's, you know, it's a solid seven out of 10 game that, you know, if you find yourself with, you know, 30 or 40 hours to play then then knock yourself out because there's some really good fun stuff to be had in there and i think you know the sequel hopefully will go a long way to to improve on many of the elements which are so close to being great but don't quite come together as a as a package of the whole so enjoyable but yeah not not an absolute classic fair enough thanks everybody as always it just remains for me Leon, to thank Carl, Leah, Tony, and our editor, Jay, our correspondents, and of course, to you for listening. Next time, in issue 518, we join Chicory for a colourful tale. Chicory is not the dog. I mean, I didn't know. <laughs> I assume I assumed Chicory was a dog. Yeah. <laughs>